Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. What's up, guys? We got a special episode here for you. Since our beloved are on the bye this week, we don't have a game to preview but instead, we're going to do a review. Uh, we're going to bring our good friend Lauren Cox from Locked On Bears back on, and we're going to break down the second third of the 2023 season, or maybe, I guess, the second leg of the season, since we've got 18 weeks. you got six weeks for the first week, six weeks for the second leg, th- you know, six weeks for the third leg. Well, the first week of the third leg is the bye for the Bears, a long uh, much needed uh, break that our beloved uh, get. They've had two mini buys, but they had to play Thursday night games immediately after a Sunday game to make it happen. So this is a welcome uh, vacation for them, where they actually do get to get away from uh, Hallis Hall, get the get their heads clear, and and come back for those last five games because uh, it doesn't like the first two games are brutal. We got the we got the Lions, we got them at home, but after our first encounter with them. Is that really as scary as it was a few weeks ago? And then we have the Browns, who are terrifying on defense, but uh, with no Deshaun Watson and a rookie at quarterback, possibly even P.J. Walker or, God forbid, Joe Flacco. You know, it could be another Vikings game where no field, where no touchdowns, but all field goals will win you the game uh, kind of thing. Another defensive back-and-forth uh, battle. So we'll have to wait and see. But after that, we got Arizona. We got Atlanta. We got the Packers again. Those are winnable games. And you can actually even kind of look at Detroit and and Cleveland as kind of winnable games uh, as well because of their situations or because the Bears aren't going to be afraid of Detroit this time around or have no reason to be, uh, I should say. So it's an interesting stretch. And Lauren and I talk about it towards the end uh, of the interview about, you know, what the last few weeks is going to look like. If we enter this, you know, scenario where Eberflus wins out, what do we do then? You know, that kind of thing. So uh, it's an interesting conversation. And because we don't have any, uh, because we don't have a game to talk about, there's no news and notes. There's no keys to the game. There's no uh, injury report or any of that nonsense. So we're going to go straight from the intro right into the conversation. So let's go ahead and do it. This is the 2023 second, third season review of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. So with the Week 12 uh, victory over the Vikings, the Bears are in their much-needed bye week, Week 13, but Week number 12 also ends the second third of the season since we got 18 weeks. Everything is divided in six, and now uh, to help us uh, review these last six weeks, uh, with for the Tyson Bajan era, the return of Justin Fields, and all the rest of it, our good friend from Locked On Bears, newly avid Kiss fan, Lauren Cox. Lauren, welcome back, man. Hey, it's good to be back with you, and good to see you again for the second time in three days. Yes, indeed. We we we've, we waved hello to one another. Lauren's uh, 
You had you're literally sitting right where I was when I saw them for the reunion tour uh, back in '96. It was right in that uh, right in that section uh, that we had uh, seats for. That was my favorite sh- show of all time, by the way. That reunion show. But uh, that was the year I was born. Not to rub it in, but uh, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm I've, I'm reminded just about every time I talk to you how <laughs> how less time you've been on Earth than me. That's uh, I'm always reminded. So thank you, thank you for that. So yeah. I had just graduated high school. Yeah. Second night in Chicago on the reunion tour is very cool. So, and you weren't, weren't even here yet. Or were you, you just you barely say, I've here? Been, I've been seeing that band since before you were born or since yes. you were born. So, yeah. Well, you know what? I went to my first show before I was born. I was uh, born in March of 78 and we attended, we as in my mother and I, uh, along with my dad, attended a show in, in the old Chicago stadium where the Bulls mm. played. Uh, in January of 78, when my mother was swollen round uh, with me in tow, and she said that I was kicking away the whole night. So I either hated it or I loved it. Well, here we are 45 years later. I am you know, was weeping at the end of uh, rock and roll all night, so I'd have to say that I liked it. So here we are. <laughs> so, But, uh, you know, speaking of things that uh, we love that often don't love us back, let's talk about these beloved Chicago Bears uh, of ours, Lauren. When we last uh, had you on the show, we were recapping weeks one through six, where we were gloriously one and five. Uh, after that, um, we had just lost Justin Fields for an inordinate amount of time. We had no idea uh, with a dislocated thumb because Luke Getze decided to either pretend he didn't care or did not know that Brian Flores liked to blitz on occasion. Uh, when he played against the Vikings after back-to-back, you know, awesome performances from uh, Justin Fields, he decided to basically just throw Justin out to the Wolves against the Vikings in that game, and we paid a heavy, heavy price for that. Ultimately, on a play where, you know, he, he escaped from the pocket and fell down, and it was kind of a, I mean, yeah, the pressure was there and the blitz was coming after him, but that was kind of one of those... You don't even call it fluky, but, you know, it wasn't a big, he got lit up and, you know, absolutely thrashed apart in a play. It was like he flipped it and fell down. And I don't know if you were nervous and not to get ahead of ourselves, but a very similar play happened. Oh, dude, I, you know, I was, I was upset with myself that I did not mention it when, when I did the review, uh, yesterday, uh, afternoon to, uh, to talk about that, uh, was that I, I mean, I put it into my notes when I, when I saw the replay and I saw that play, it's just like. You know, it, it's it's it makes you kind of worry about him overall because it just seems like he responds to these situations so differently, and yet it seems like his luck always has him responding the 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 wrong way. Like he would always run when he should probably wait. You know, he waits too long and hangs onto the ball when he should either run or throw it away. And there are times when you actually do take a sack, and like you said, that he wouldn't just take the sack against Minnesota in Week Six. And he had a very eerily similar looking play uh, the same week. Uh, and, and, you know, going to the ground, I mean, they even ruled him in the grass. So it actually was a sack, but he fought right until the very end and, and it very, looked very much like he was bound to do it again. So. At least this time around against the Vikings, he tied a season high with five throwaway passes, at least as charted by PFF, like passes that are not intended for a receiver that he's just trying to get rid of. And those are actually both career highs, five is his career high, did it against the Vikings and then did it against Washington in week five. So, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to like celebrate throwaways, but that did feel like 
growth that he's willing to just say, <laughs> chuck it out and live to fight another down in a game where your defense is getting four more turnovers. You don't have to be a hero every time. Right. So, so let's go back to the beginning. We left off after the Minnesota game. So we start with the Tyson Bajant era. Uh, and in fact, because of the difficulties the Bears were having on offense right up until the Denver-Washington renaissance for, for Justin Fields, uh, there have been a lot of calls for Tyson Bajan to come in because it couldn't be any worse, right? And, you know, so he comes in. Uh, we've, we've just lost Justin Fields for God knows how long. He almost comes in and saves the game against Minnesota there, but if not for the strip sack, maybe that actually happens because that was actually the difference in the game was he got strip sacked against Minnesota, scoop and score for the touchdown because the defense didn't give up 19 points. The Bears did. You know, as a whole, as a team, they gave up 19 points uh, in that game. They're going up against the Raiders, and oddly, the teams were very similar in that, you know, you've got a lot of talent on both sides of the ball that, for one reason or another, aren't exactly living up to their potential. It's like an offense that has Josh Jacobs, Devontae Adams, Michael Mayer, and such shouldn't struggle to score points the way they do, along with Jacoby Myers and things like that. And, you know, the Bears with DJ Moore, Cole Komet, Khalil Herbert and such always, you know, struggle to score points as well. And the reason that I chose the Raiders to actually win that game was that the one thing the Raiders had that the Bears don't was Max Crosby. They had a closer and a pass rusher that I felt like if the game was close, that Crosby would be the guy that could make the play that would seal the game. Well, thankfully, it never got there because... The Tyson Bajant-led offense, thanks to Deontay Foreman's three touchdowns, kicked the crap out of the Raiders in this game. And Brian Hoyer ended up being the starting quarterback. He was a walking disaster. We got some turnovers in uh, in this game. You know, Max Crosby made his plays, but he didn't make a dent. The Bears won that one 30-12. Yeah, you know, we talk about that being like the start of the Tyson Bajant era, but it also is sort of like uh, that in the Vikings game being kind of the start of the – Bears defensive resurgence yeah. era there too, like getting all those turnovers to really help Tyson Bajant and the rest of the offense not have to drive 80 yards downfield to put up 30 points in a game. I mean, I pick six counted for six of those for the Bears offense in that game, but you know, not to not have to go down the field and, you know, really work that hard. You can throw you know, that, that's the kind of game that you can win with a quarterback like Tyson Bajant with 162 pass passing yards really kind of game managering when you just run the ball well you get turnovers and short fields and you know just be better than your opponent that goes on to fire its coach like a week or two later yeah and I don't think anybody was surprised uh when that happened but it's just like of course the, I mean the, the the debate has been going on all along you know the whole season especially with the way the Bears started the whole you know and the Bears have had a pretty tight grip at the top of the 2024 draft board pretty much from day one along with getting the help from Carolina that they're equally as terrible if not worse so we're, we've got the top two picks in the draft for like the first seven weeks uh, of the season uh, and everything and so the debate on whether or not to hang hang on to fields and trade the number one pick again or who do we pick and blah 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 and you know we should bring Tyson Bajant uh, in here he was way better than fields in the preseason and so on and so forth and then this game happens where we didn't win the game because of Tyson Bajan, but he did play well. And, you know, we, we didn't turn over the ball. We won the game. And those were things that we'd only done once with pre within the five previous six weeks uh, with Justin Fields, further muddying the waters on the debate on 
who the quarterbacks, not only who the quarterback should be next year, but who it should be this year. Even when uh, when Fields comes back, should Bajan still be the starting quarterback? That that game did not help those that those of us that want Fields to be the guy for the rest of the year, or for him to have every opportunity to keep his job. Yeah, it was kind of this initial question of like, okay, was this great Tyson Bajan play of like, wow, you really got something special here, or is it? terrible Las Vegas Raiders team that can't get out of its own way that, you know, not just, I mean, can't say that just anybody would beat them because they had just lost their previous couple of games to the Packers and the, and the Patriots. But, you know, when Brian Hoyer ends up starting this game, you know, that wasn't part of the plan for them over the course of that season. And obviously things were imploding more and more. And I think, you know, not to get ahead of ourselves, but as the next couple of weeks panned out, it felt a little bit more like, yeah, maybe more reflection of what the Bears were playing against than what the Bears were actually doing, at least from a Tyson Bajan standpoint. Yeah, and the the next games, the next two games, actually, what were fr- especially that game against the Chargers, the following week, Sunday Night Football, of course this has to happen on national uh, TV. Uh, Tyson Bajan is the, the big story of the night. Uh, I love how they kept showing what his last 10 games were were or something like that where these division two schools that literally nobody except the people that go there have ever heard of uh before and then oh yeah he's played against the vikings the uh the raiders and now the chargers you know and kind of thing but the thing that really drove me nuts about that game and i was into the game i knew that this was going to happen was basically we this was before the montez sweat trade and he has had quite an impact on the team in his last in the four games that he's been with us. But there it was, you know, one of the, I think it was the last game before uh, we made the trade for him. I wanted Eberflus to be aggressive and go after uh, Justin Herbert, not because he folds under pressure. He quite exactly does the opposite, actually. But to go after him because we aren't going to get home with four, and I would much rather get beat on the blitz than to sit back in zone and have them pick us apart, which is what we've been watching them, watching the defense do for the majority of the first six weeks, seven weeks of the season, is Eberflus is trying to get home with four. It's not happening, and we're the best team defense in the league on first and second down, but we don't play in Canada, so you got to stop them on third as well, and we're the worst defense in the league on third down. Whether it's third and three or third and 18, they always seem to find that open spot in the zone. And they are so wide open that not only do they make the catch, but then they run for yards before anybody gets close to making contact. And then you watch Herbert uh, go out there and they scored, what, the first three, four times they touched the ball uh, in the first half. And the game was over at halftime. It, I knew that was going to happen and I was hoping it wouldn't. And then it just pissed that I was right watching it happen one drive after another in that game. Yeah, and it, it, there's such a, a ripple effect from that too, right, where you start falling behind on the scoreboard, your defense it gets gashed up, so then they certainly abandoned the running game in right. that one, which puts more of the pressure on Tyson Bajan, which led to more Tyson Bajan interceptions, more turnovers, which just lead to more points for the Chargers, so you're further behind on the scoreboard, so you're less even less inclined to run, and it just you know cycles through itself over and over again. And I remember like the most frustrating part of that game was that was the one where they couldn't tackle anybody, especially Austin Eckler. I mean, they just missed tackle after tackle after tackle. They, yeah. I mean, it was it was embarrassing in primetime football to watch a defense that, like we were just saying, like had been playing pretty well against the Raiders and even against the Vikings to an extent, and the Commanders before that, they were starting yeah. to turn a corner. Like that was a big, you know, two steps forward, 
one step back against the Chargers. Yeah, it really was. And that last touchdown before the half that I think it was Gerald Everett or one of their tight ends, Parnum, I think, maybe massive guy, catches the yeah. pass, makes one guy miss, and then carries three of them into the end zone. It's like, guys, really? Really? This is how we get? Yeah, okay. So, you know, it was, what, 24 to 17, something crazy at halftime. It's like, yeah, this we're going to have to abandon the run because we're, we're behind big uh, at halftime and, uh, and everything. It was, it was a completely uh, frustrating thing. And like you said, the tackling was awful. I mean, even TJ Edwards, as sure a tackler as he was, he struggled like hell uh, that night, especially with Austin Eckler. He had that big touchdown run. I think it was in the first or second. It was like a pass that he caught and ran in for a touchdown as well. Yeah, that game was a total mess. And like you said, national TV uh, for us is like fantastic. This is exactly how I wanted the Bears to look on national TV. Thanks so much, fellas. So, especially against a, a Chargers defense that had been notoriously struggling all season. Yeah, albeit they played some, they played some pretty good opponents. But like, there was all that talk of Brandon Staley being fired at some point, and. You know, like we thought, sure, the Chargers offense, we knew they were going to get some points against this Bears defense, but it was like, all right, let's see what Tyson Bajan can do and maybe a little bit more of a shootout scenario, but it should still be against a, I don't want to say beatable defense, but a defense that you should be able to move the ball on. And they, and they couldn't nearly right. as well as you would have liked to see. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a frustrating situation and a bad show. But then fast forward a week later, I actually thought this was going to be another kind of Chargers game where we just sit back in zone and David Carr picks us apart, or Derek Carr uh, picks us apart, and it's just like, well, uh, apparently the, 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 the Saints have the same problem uh, that the Bears do. It's like we're, we're pretty good at from 20 to 20, but getting into the end zone, that's where things get uh, kind of ugly, and we're going shot for shot with the – Saints in this game, two Cole Komet touchdowns in the in the first half, and Bajan's looking great. And then, unfortunately, the fourth quarter happened. Did we turn the ball over four times in the fourth quarter, or was it just my – because I know that it was definitely like at least two or three in that fourth quarter. But despite five turnovers in that game, we lost by one stinking score in that one. So, I mean, it was uh, just where we just absolutely fell apart in the fourth quarter there. Yeah, that was the first game where it kind of felt like, you know, like Bajent himself imploded, right? Like, there's one thing against the Chargers when, okay, like, your defense is getting run over and your running game isn't doing anything for you, so how much can you really blame on Bajent? Yeah, he throws a pick or whatever, but okay, it, it happens. But, like, Chargers game, things are going well, right? You're going shot for shot with them. The offense, you're, you're running the ball pretty well. Your defense is keeping this you know, close, if not, I think the Bears had a lead for some portions of that game. Like it was, it was really back and forth, and, and no need to, no need to abandon the running game, no need to, to stress too hard. I mean, it was tied entering the fourth quarter. Like this game is within reach, and and Bajan, you know, you don't need to do too much, but you need to do a little more than than you know, game managing chuck down, and then interception, interception, fumble, yeah. three turnovers in that fourth quarter. That that to me is is when it laid it officially laid to rest any potential of a quarterback controversy like it was already on life support after the chargers game right but like after that saints game it was like all right we know now this Bajan thing is fun and he's cool and we're rooting for him and we want mm-hmm. him to be successful but he's not a starting nfl quarterback 
today. Maybe, right. maybe down the line, but not not today. And let's get back to the Justin Fields show sooner rather than later. It just wasn't quite as soon as you would hope, but got right. there eventually. <laughs> I mean, and, and in in a couple of years of of you know practicing and seasoning and things like that. Not only do I think Bajan can be a top tier backup, but that he might be able to come in when somebody's injured and win a few ball games for you. Like, and I know that we're talking about the Tyson Bajan era where he went two and two. Uh, in his time as, as the as the starter, but it's just like you know, a lot of that was he got some help from the team. He had the great benefit again, uh, you know, playing against a rudderless Raiders and Panthers uh, team that have since both fired their head coaches since the since we played uh, those teams uh, and everything. But he had his struggles. He looked like a rookie. Uh, at times, but it's like I would not panic if next year, God forbid, we run it back with Fields and Bajant. Justin has his customary game or two where he doesn't play. I would feel okay with Tyson Bajant out there, but if, say, if Justin Fields goes down week one and we got to go 17 games with Tyson Bajant, yeah, Ryan Poles better get on the phone and find somebody uh, to come in and, and, and take care of it because he's not ready for that just yet. Yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. Like he's 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 fun and reliable, and you know what you're going to get at this point. But there's limitations to that, and you can get by against a bad Raiders team or a bad Carolina Panthers team. But once you need to do some serious winning against decent opponents, maybe not going to be the one that gets the job done. Right. So, so he practices leading up to the Carolina game, and we all get excited that we might be able to see the return of Justin Fields because my great fear was that they would sit him for the Panthers game, and then his first game would be against the Lions. Now, you and I talked after that Minnesota game because that Minnesota game was game two of a stretch where I was like, these are like this six- or seven-week stretch. The Bears aren't going to be favored except for maybe that Carolina game, but I feel like every game in this stretch is winnable. Minnesota, Washington, or Washington, Minnesota, Vegas, the Chargers, the Saints, the Panthers, before we finally play a game where I'm like, yeah, no way we win this one in Detroit. And, you know, it's (laughs) who knows how this era goes if Fields is playing that entire time. But I to go through that like six game stretch and walk out with with only two wins, I feel is kind of unacceptable and uh you know it was really hard to get through a lot of what ifs like if Justin Fields uh was playing and all that kind of stuff he practices for that Carolina game but he's ruled out for it and we got one more game of the Tyson Bajan era wearing the worst goddamn uniforms in the history of the NFL with the all oranges and the orange helmet Oh, God help me. And, and what proceeded was probably one of the worst played games uh, in the of the season for the second year in a row for the Bears on Thursday night football. It was a real joy uh, to sit through. It's always Thursday that they play those, that they wear those orange uniforms and that they play like crap. And we're just, <laughs> that they play like crap because they won, but like that they play ugly, ugly football. Prime yeah. time has generally been pretty ugly for the Bears this season. And yet, you know, they're, what now three and one in primetime games this year. It's just oh, been one. And it's, three. it's been weird. It, it's just, no, weird, you're right. I mean, three, holy crap. You're right. They beat yeah. Washington, Carolina and, and uh, Minnesota on Minnesota. prime time. Wow. Yeah. The only loss was the chargers. Yeah. That's amazing. That's amazing. <laughs> but, it's, it's, yeah. It, 
It's ugly. It's ugly. It looks ugly visually. It looks ugly on the field. It looks ugly in the box score. Like it looks ugly on film. Like it's it's ugly all around. Yeah, I mean, and that game was especially frustrating because one of my keys to the game going into that was don't do anything that's going to give the Panthers any reason whatsoever to believe in themselves. That you know to give them any kind of spark because the only thing scarier than a good team is any team that believes in itself. You know, it just they 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 believe they can do anything. They get some momentum, they get a bounce, they get a break, and uh, you know they're off to the races. Even even if they're playing against a team that should take them to the woodshed. And what do the Bears do? They give up an eighty something yard punt return for a touchdown to give them an easy t- you know to to give them easy points and to give that and that happened early in the game too. It's like this is. Not only is it bad that it happened, it was awful for when it actually happened. It happened early. It gave them a lead. It gave them something to defend and, and protect and all that kind of stuff. I was like, this is this is how hell freezes over right here, that we're going to go ahead and lose this game uh, tonight. It's like, this is, I, I can't believe this. And it, it just, uh, slowly but surely, it turned around, and slowly but surely, the Bears did enough to win that game. But to bite your nails the way you did against that football team was just like, we got 10 days. We can fire Eberflus and get it get it together before we play the Lions, right? Because I mean, if we lose that game, how does how do you how do you reconcile him still being the coach on Friday? It just I don't think I I don't think any Bear fan would have accepted it. Classic winner keeps his job, loser gets fired game on Thursday night football there because <laughs> Greg didn't last more than a week longer than that. And no. Eberflus instead, you know, turning things around. And I will say, not just any punt return for a touchdown. Amir Smith-Marset. Smith- mm-hmm. Oh, the, the guy that hurt us bad two weeks in a row. I mean, it's like that Minnesota fumble thing was bad enough, uh, but then he, he drops like a, a, a pass that we had to have against the commanders that next week. I was like, yeah, get this guy out of here. And then it was it was him of all people that runs that kickback for a touchdown. So sometimes I, that's all it takes. Yeah, and I, to tell you the truth, live I had no idea because I'd actually uh, gotten together with an old friend. We made up or met up and uh, had uh, we were at a sports bar watching the game, so I didn't have the uh, advantage of being able to hear the announcers and things like that. So I didn't put it together until much later about who it was that ran that kickback on us for a touchdown. As I probably would have lost my mind if I'd have known in the moment that it was him that ran that kickback, uh, you know, to, to take that early lead uh, against the Bears. It's like, because that, when I, even when I found out later on that it was him, I was not happy about it. It was like, you let that happen. And then of all people, it's just like, is there just somebody else who could do more damage to the Bears that's not actually on the team? Uh, right now, it's like man. It's like of all people, it had to be Amir Smith Marset. It just goes to show you that we're a year or two away from Valus Jones having a return touchdown against <laughs> the Bears when he's on his next team. Like that's coming. Yeah, who can sabotage this team more yes. somewhere else? <laughs> so we eke out the win over the Panthers, and then sure enough, Justin Fields makes his return uh, against the Detroit Lions, and I was certain, Lauren. Absolutely, 100% certain that it was going to be an absolute bloodbath in Detroit. I thought, I mean, it, of when you and I talked after the Vikings game, I was certain that we would have a shot in the next five games, and then that last one against Detroit, that's the one where, you know, when you and I talk again, 
We'll be talking about you know how many guys are still on the roster that are alive and breathing after this game because because I just felt like with the way Detroit was playing early on in the season, the way we were playing, the way we didn't show up against good football teams, that for sure we were going to lose that game somewhere in the area of about three hundred to three because I just I had no faith whatsoever, and it was the last game in the world I wanted Justin coming back for, and it turned out that all my fears were set aside because not only did Justin Fields play well. We played well for almost the entire game. And then in the last four minutes, Iberflus did everything he could not to be on the bus back to Chicago and, and blow that game in the last four minutes. I mean, it's just like here I am over the moon with how we're playing, how we're standing up to the lines. We're picking off golf where, you know, where Justin is, is doing his hybrid thing where he's passing the wall just as well as he's running it. The defense is doing things. And then the last four minutes of that game happened, and it erased all of it. It erased all of it. And the defense collapsed. Justin Fields, you know, basically erases everything he did well in the game, being strip-sacked at the end of it uh, and all of it. It was just like what a, what a gut punch the end of that game was versus how it started and, and everything, especially with what people were expecting to see from that game going into it. Yeah, it, it felt like a, a familiar storyline, right? Like like we've seen that we'd seen this story a couple times this season, like certainly against Denver, right? Where right. you're like everything is going great and you're on top of the mountain and you're feeling like, man, this team is gonna beat the first place Detroit Lions and get their first divisional win under Matt Eberflus and Justin Fields is playing great and looks like he's picking right back up where he left off. And then like you could almost, I mean, not that you felt it coming, but like once it started to come, then you were like, oh, yeah, they're going to find a way to lose this game. Like once, once, once the Lions got back into it in the fourth, in the fourth quarter, it was like, oh, I know how this game finishes. The Bears yeah. get the ball back down one, like the Lions will retake the lead. The Bears will get one last shot at it at the very end of the fourth quarter. And somehow, some way, something will go wrong. I didn't think it would be Darnell Wright kicking the football out of the back of the end zone for a safety, but like <laughs> usually it's a yeah, it's a it's a sack on fourth down or a tipped pass that gets picked off or right. something like that, where it's just where like you lose all hope and then you get the ball back one more time at the end of the game with hope again and then it's dashed again. Like that's the formula that happens every time. Right. We're great. Oh, everything sucks. Oh, maybe we can still win. Oh, of course not. No, we're not going to no, game over. Of course not. And you know, and and that's the that was the thing, man. It's and you're right. It's like the the end of that Denver game. All right, we gave up the lead. We're down. Uh, we're gonna move the ball along, and then Justin and Cole Komet are not on the same page on how the route's supposed to go. Cole Komet goes to the inside. Justin throws it to the outside, which also happens to be where the defender is standing, making it look like the easiest interception that guy's ever made uh, in his life and everything. You were kind of expecting something like that to happen and then poor Darnell Wright as well as he played throughout that entire game you know when he needed it the most the rookie gave up you know got beat that one time because Hutchinson had zero sacks going into that moment but he got the sack he stripped it out and then as he's trying to save the football Darnell Wright kicks it out the back of the end zone for a safety so with four minutes and 15 seconds to go the Bears are up 26 to 14 four minutes and 15 seconds later that we've lost the game by five Somehow, like it's that all happened right there in front of us. And yeah, and then to double down just because the football gods have an amazing sense of humor, the exact same thing happened on Thanksgiving Day against the Packers only 
They weren't playing the Bears, so the Packers didn't blow that big lead they had in the last four minutes. They tried. They ended up making it a seven-point game and, and giving the Lions hope, but the Lions became the Bears. Hey, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do this. We got hope and looking up. No, it's no, it's over. We're done. So, yeah, just because the gods have a sense of humor, the Lions lost the game the way they should have lost it to us, but they lost it to Green Bay on national TV on Thanksgiving. That was uh, kind of a slap in the face from the football gods there. Well, maybe maybe the Lions kept it because then we do get the monkey off the back against the Minnesota Vikings where yeah. you are. I mean, it's not the same formula, but it is Justin Fields gets the ball with just over two minutes left in the game down, down in one possession. You got to drive down and score. And lo and behold, we flipped the script. Like they, they broke the curse. They get, they gave it to the lions and kept it themselves. And yeah, won a football game. Holy crap. In the fourth quarter. And you know what? I'm glad you brought that up because the game itself is not much to talk about because we got four turnovers again. We only got three stinking points out of it because Luke Getze, God bless him, he actually accounted for the Minnesota Blitz, but him accounting for it was throwing screens all over the place uh, in that football game. And there was a three-play sequence in the second quarter. And you may have watched it because we were still waiting for Kiss. My dad and I were watching it on the phone. We're still yeah. waiting for Kiss to come out. First play is a screen to the left where DJ Moore splits the blocks between Mooney and Equinemia St. Brown gets a first down. Same play on the next first down. Uh, almost gets picked off by the defensive end who steps right in front of it. So what is Getze's answer for that? To run the same play to the right side this time. DJ Moore catches it, gets stuffed behind the line of scrimmage for a loss. And then on third down, we throw an incomplete, uh, incomplete pass and we have to kick it away. But it's like I understand that the strategy is to get the ball out of Justin's hands as quickly as possible to counteract the the blitz that we actually do know is coming this time. But he's showing no imagination whatsoever in the we'll just keep throwing screens and it will work and all that kind of stuff. I mean, people were people talk about this game like it was the worst game that's ever been played uh, on TV when I would wager that the Bears-Panthers game was far worse uh, than this. So... Um, and the the way that it was called, the way that it was played, completely overshadows what the Bears actually accomplished. And it was just what you were saying a moment ago, that two things happened that hadn't happened at least definitely during the Matt Eberflus era. It was number one, Justin Fields fumbled that second time in the fourth quarter. We're, they're in Bears territory, so the Vikings have it on our side of the field, three and a half minutes to go. The thing that happened that never happened before, the Bears stopped them on defense, got the ball back. Usually that's when we bend over and take whatever they give us, whether it's another field goal that would have forced us to have to score a touchdown or, you know, or whatever it was. And we stopped them, we get the ball back, and then the other thing that happened was that in a situation, game's on the line, one timeout, no timeouts, whatever it was, two and a half minutes to go, you got to get us in, in position for a score. And then Fields, using his arm and his legs, gets us down the field, puts us in field goal range, and we won. Those two things had not happened any time during the Justin Fields era and especially during the Matt Eberflus era. And the Bears pulled it off, but the joke is we did it without scoring a touchdown, so that's why it's laughable that the Bears were still able to, to do it. If it was any other team, if it was Pat Mahomes or you know Justin or uh, Jalen Hurts for the Eagles – 
Pat on the back for Nick Sirianni. Pat on the back for Andy Reid. Kept those guys in the game. Kept them, you know, motivated and all that kind of stuff. They persevered and they won. The Bears do it, and it's something to laugh about. And uh, it's, you know, I know it's sour grapes and everything, but it's, it's, I mean, it, it, it angers me that everyone's kind of ignoring the bigger picture here and what we actually did accomplish uh, in this game. You know, like we know as Bear fans, two things happen that don't ha- that have not happened in a very long time in that game, and it's being ignored. It feels like the bar should have been low enough to where, like, hey, the fact that they won, like, should be, like, who cares? I mean, like, to the most extent, like, who cares how they won? Like, sure, it does, it matters in some senses, but when you're three and seven or whatever they were at the time, like, when you're a bad football team, I don't really care how you win. If you win, like, that's the first step is win the game. Like, once you win a game, then you can start worrying about, like, winning better. But at the end of the day, like, all you got to do is score one more point than the other team. And if that doesn't involve a touchdown, sure, that sucks. But it, it's a win. Like, yeah. that's what matters. They they got it done in a way that we've just been detailing. Like, they have not been able to do that. That they just, just the bare minimum of, hey, win ugly. That's been a real struggle against a decent opponent. And they found a way to do it. And, like, that's, that's worth celebrating on its own. And then we can worry about, you know, how to win better later. Yeah. Well, because that was the thing that they were saying about the Bears after the Detroit game was that they don't know how to close. They don't know how to win. Detroit does, and that's why they were able to come back and take that game uh, away from the Bears. We'll fast forward ten day, or a week later uh, on Monday Night Football, and the Bears figured out how to win. You know, They did what they had to in order to win twice. They got the stop on defense, and then they drove down the field with a quarterback who's turnover-prone in those situations. He didn't turn over the football. He made the throw he needed to make, that big 35-yard gain, to uh, DJ Moore that got us into the red zone uh, that made it a chip shot field goal for for Santos uh, there at the end. And, you know, I I wasn't really thrilled that we started kneeling on the ball to kill time and everything. I would have much rather drove the dagger right through their heart uh, in that game. But instead, we kneel on it. You know, Iberflus is a defensive coach who's going to get ultra conservative in those moments. It's what's cost us the game in Detroit in the first place. But, you know, it worked out for us this time. And all that uh, Minnesota had left to do after we scored the field goal was play the lateral game uh, for a few seconds, and uh, then the ball game uh, was over. But it's just it, it, it was it kind of irked me when I heard it, and then when I really sat down and thought about it, it really kind of pissed me off that people were turning it into a joke that the Bears came back and won that game, or they're the only game in twenty twenty or the only team in twenty twenty three that scored a or that got a win without scoring a touchdown. It's like only the Bears, man. Only the Bears could do that. It's like actually, that's pretty hard to do that to win a game without scoring a touchdown, and people are making fun of the Bears for doing it. It just, it really started to bother me the more I thought about it. And why don't the Vikings get criticism for losing to a team that didn't score a touchdown? Right? Why is it like those 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 idiots who won, those yeah. losers who won the game? They're the real schmucks, not the team that lost to those schmucks. Like, no, yeah. the winning team, they're the schmucks in that game. Like, I, yeah, I mean, it's it's always, the only thing. It's always like that. It's just one battle after another. Yeah, the only thing I think that really saves the the Vikings in that situation is that because their backup quarterback was out there. If it was Kirk Cousins, maybe they'd be might taking a little more heat for losing the game. If you had Cousins out there, they also didn't have Justin Jefferson 
uh, and everything. The Bears were lucky enough not to see him at all uh, in 2023 because the uh, the first game was the first one he missed, and this one I think is probably going to be the last one that he misses, but it, both Bears games are folded into that uh, injury time uh, for him, so maybe that's why they're not catching the heat that they should. But they were other, the other half of this game that everybody says was so terrible. And, uh, you know, but the Bears are the ones catching all the heat for it. It's very convenient when, like, Josh Dobbs wins his first two games with the Vikings, and it's like, wow, he's the savior. Is he going to be their starting quarterback next season? Are they going to just turn the hand the reins over to Dobbs? And then all of a sudden he plays poor against the Bears. It's like, oh, well, he's the backup quarterback. No, no, what, never mind. Like, well, yeah, I mean. Had it both ways. O'Connell's going to bench him now. You know, it's yeah. like he, he admitted to the press, I thought about benching him and putting Nick Mullins in the game. And now that they're on the bye, same as us, this week, Nick Mullins might be the first, the starting quarterback for the Vikings when they play the Raiders uh, in two weeks. It's like, yeah, okay, so yeah, I guess he's not so much the 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 rocket scientist genius anymore uh, now that he blew a game against the Bears. It's like, so yeah, that's. Uh, I, I would love to get back to the days where losing to the Bears isn't a black eye anymore. <laughs> you know, whereas like, you know, you you lost to the Bears, man, but. Uh, you know, everybody does, so it's not that bad. But, uh, you know, th- now it's just like, <laughs> you lost to the Bears. That's embarrassing. So, yeah. It, it does feel like they'll, they're getting closer to that being a little bit less embarrassing, right? Like when they when they beat the Vikings and they give the Lions a scare, and, you know, they, like they are starting to beat the team. They beat the teams that they were supposed to beat in terms of the Raiders and, and, the, and, the, and the Panthers, Panthers in yeah. there, and they, they were close with the Saints. They were close with the Lions. Like, I think – there, there's. I, I'm at least sensing like a little bit of. I don't want to say respect might be too strong of a word, but like there's a little something here where people are recognizing like, hey, the Bears are actually starting to do some things right, and like this defense is playing fairly consistently well over yeah. the course of the stretch with with some up and down in there. Like, I don't know if I don't know if it's respect, but it's some kind of like, huh? Like they're four and four in their last eight games, and yeah. that's you know that's not impressive per se, but it's not laughing stock of the NFL like the Panthers have clearly and, and to some extent I well the Raiders got some back with Antonio Pierce but like the Panthers have really taken the reins from like the Bears is like holy crap that's a dumpster fire and the Bears yeah. is more like yeah that, that's not that's on fire but it might not be a dumpster fire like yeah. it's a small garbage can <laughs> on fire yeah you, you could easily put that out with a wet towel or something like that yes just, you know just wave wave a, wave your jacket at it uh, the fire will be out uh kind of thing I mean and that's something that we've seen uh, over this six weeks, that that Chargers game uh, aside, it was it was really they've really performed well. Starting with that Commanders game, you know the five sacks, the the two turnovers, and things like that to go along with you know DJ Moore's two hundred and thirty yards and three touchdowns uh, in that game. Then the next game against the Vikings, it was really like I said, it was the Bears that gave up nineteen points, not the off, not the defense. Uh, that did it because they even they held Kirk Cousins and the Vikings to 12 points uh, in that one. It's misleading that the final score of the game uh, between the Bears and the Raiders was 30 to 12 because that last touchdown came with a minute 10 to go, and the, the Bears really won that game 30 to six. Uh, and then, like I said, the Chargers game was a disaster, but that was more about the offense kept turning the ball over or giving it right back to give the Chargers one opportunity after another. And Herbert, if you're gonna, you keep giving the ball to Justin Herbert, he's going to make you pay for it uh, eventually. Then the the Saints game, we all know about the the that was more of a, a blow for blow thing, and then the the fourth quarter is really where it all just fell apart. I mean, and the Saints gave us a chance in that game 
as well. Like they they may have had a field goal attempt to go up ten, and they missed it. So now we've got the ball back, decent field position. We're only down one score, and then Bajan fumbles the ball again, and then it really is uh, over this time. And then the Panthers, we already know about that one. It wouldn't have been – we didn't need the defense to do a whole lot. And, in fact, they did great in that they only gave up three points because the other seven came from a punt return, you know, on a touchdown. Yeah. It was more, again, the Bears gave up ten points versus the uh, the defense giving up those ten points. And then for the first 56 minutes, man, the defense was really showing up against uh, the Viking, or excuse me, the Lions. And then let's talk about the end of that Lions game real quick, okay? <laughs> because going into the fourth quarter, it's what, 20? Was it 20 to 14? Yeah, I, I think it was 20 to 14 because I remember talking doing my knee-jerk reaction between the third and the fourth quarter. We're in Lions territory. It's third and one. And even if we don't convert, we can kick a field goal and it could be a two-score game was was the last thing I said, which is exactly what happened. Because I love Justin Fields. I want him to be our quarterback for a long time. But if I see him get T-Rex arms on a third and one quarterback dive situation again, I'm going to scream. Okay. Justin Fields is 6'3. He's a tall guy. And never one and forward progress means all he's got to do is reach the ball over the line of scrimmage and pull it back in. And yet it's almost like he buries the ball in his pants. So it's as far back from the line to gain as it actually needs to be in those situations. Not to mention we are terrible at the tush push or the Bradley shove or whatever uh you want to call uh that play. We ended up having to kick the field goal. Okay, fine. But then on the next one. Where do you stand on this? You know, do you, do you remember how you were feeling in the moment? Do we need to be going for it here uh, on fourth down? Because it, it, it turned into the reason we lost was because Eberflus played not to lose at the end, and it just all fell apart because of that. Yeah, like you're talking about like when they got in, like in the Lions' red zone or just outside of it and then ran it three times, kicked the field goal? Well, you know, it's, it's that – and then the series where we did kick the field goal to go up twenty three to fourteen, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, "We should, push, yeah. let's go for it on fourth down." You know, let's go yeah. for it on fourth down. Extend, extend the drive. See what happens. If we settle for a field goal, fine. But let's let's do it. Let's go for it here. Instead, we take the field goal. We're up two. We're up two scores now. Okay, fine. But then to do it again on the next drive, it's fourth and five. It's later in the game. And if, if we don't get it, they're deep in their own territory. They have to go the whole length of the field uh, to score. If we do get it, now they got to start using their timeouts. And even if we only come away with a field goal, there's three less minutes on the clock or whatever there is, and they've got no timeouts to conserve and, 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 and come for it uh, at the end. It was just like I've, I know that hindsight's twenty twenty, but everything that he did in that last four minutes was wrong, and that's why the Bears lost the game. Yeah, like to me, I, I get, I guess, taking the first field goal there to make it a two score game from a one score game. Like the difference between six and nine on, on a lead there is is significant enough to me that all right, I can kind of understand. Yeah, you don't want to chase the points there, and you'll take you'll take the guaranteed up two scores. But like as that game went on, like to remain that way, like at, at that point, like when you've already got the two score lead, like you're up nine and you settle for the field goal to go up 
12, well, they still need two touchdowns either way, like yeah. or at least two two scores. I guess it could be a touchdown, a field goal versus a touchdown, a touchdown. They still need to drive the length of the field twice. So why not? You know, when they get first and 10 in, in the Lions 26, it looks like I pulled up the game log there. And then they run the ball three times and take the field goal. For, like, I mean, I get wanting to try and kill some clock on those runs, but like taking the ball out of Justin Fields' hands in that yeah. kind of scenario and, you know, I like go – Go put this team away. Don't be so scared yeah. to just play this football game. And especially like once the Lions scored again to make it back to a one possession game, like there's still three minutes left in this game. Like I know you want to use their timeouts, but you can still you could still throw and still make them use a timeout. Like you know what I mean? Like if you get the first down, they're gonna have to use timeouts. So like I I don't know. I, I feel like it doesn't mean you have to compl- you don't do anything conservative in that situation, but maybe just a little more than what we had seen up to that point. And then we get the deep shot to Tyler Scott, which yeah. is like, well, see, we tried to throw. And it's like, well, that's not, it's not exactly third and nine was not exactly what I meant when, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, then, <laughs> like that's the hardest time to throw in that situation. So yeah. And, and, but even then, like, I don't know how you feel about how much you blame Justin Fields versus Tyler Scott in that play, but Sure was darn close to being a game clinching play there. It really and, was. It was. <sighs> so I mean, it's like the the hindsight will t- will tell you that he should have thrown the the deep cross to DJ Moore, who might have had to break a tackle to get the first down, but it was a much more high percentage throw. When you watch the all twenty two, that's probably where he should have gone with the ball. But Tyler Scott had to step on his man, and that's the dagger. We hit that throw. The game is over. We hit the throw. The game is over. You see Tyler Scott as the ball is in the air kind of stutter step a little bit or he eases his foot off the gas just a tad, and it was that little slowdown that made it like it's literally hitting the ends of his fingertips as opposed to hitting him right in the palm of the hand uh, on, you know, on the run because uh, he had a step on his guy. The safety wasn't going to get there in time, and you know the throw was there. The throw was there. It's like I, I don't think anyone faults the throw. They fault the decision because D.J. Moore was open on the cross. They don't fault the throw because the throw was there. It was absolutely there. Yeah, and, and and it's like I hate I don't want to throw Tyler Scott totally under the bus because no. he was right there. I mean, yeah, but like it it feels like it's a little more his fault. Like Fields puts it at a spot, and Tyler Scott's got to play it in the air properly. And I agree, he kind of slowed down a little bit and kind of changes angle a little bit. And he, but he's a rookie fourth fourth round pick. Yeah, yeah fourth, fourth round, round pick. pick. Yeah, like. I don't know. I'm not gonna not gonna say like, oh man, he blew. Like, yeah, did no, Tyler I'm Scott not blow the game for the Bears. No, no, but he just missed the play that he could have maybe had. Right. I mean, the problem was that we were. It was third and nine. That was the problem. Yes. So exactly. the, the problem was, as we've heard, just about every Chicago sports fan, you know, radio guy, you know, blogger, beat writer, podcaster, why you take the ball out of Justin Fields' hands in that moment on first and second down to where. You know he's trying to play hero ball on third down and 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 hit the home run that we we should have been trying to chisel at on first and second down as opposed to running into a wall of humanity that the Lions they're waiting for us to run the ball on those first two plays they had literally had eight or nine guys in the box and we did nothing but run right into it and they and used the timeout so three plays takes fifteen seconds off the clock and I bet ten of it was that ball in the air trying to get to Tyler Scott. And it, even even to that, like the Bears came out with three tight ends on those first two runs. It was one receiver, three tight ends, and a back. So like, not only does the, are the Lions expecting run, but you're telestrating to them yeah. that hey, we are going to run the ball. And I get I get the like macho like okay, we're we're gonna 
we're going to run it. You got to stop us. But they did, you know? So yeah. at that point, like you can still run it, but maybe spread them out, try and get a lighter box. You run a little read option or, or you know, you can RPO and have a screen as a possibility there or a slant or something like give yourself more options than just, we are going to pound it up the middle into the 10 man box and hope that our, our, you know, I wouldn't call Khalil Herbert the strongest bag. He's fast and he's a great running back, but he got both of those handoffs. Like he's not, He's not the pound the rock and run over a guy truck stick type of back in mm-hmm. that situation. Yeah. I mean, is was Blazing game out for that one? I don't I don't I don't think so. Because we don't I use him as with, much that you con- that you are aware of every game that he plays in, uh, kind of thing. But it's like even if Blazing game was hurt, why not put, you know, I don't know, Komet or Tunyon or God forbid Mercedes Lewis, one of the best blocking tight ends in the NFL right now. The guy is basically an extra offensive tackle for how well he blocks, especially against the run. Why not put him in the backfield with, was it Herbert or was it was it Foreman? It was Herbert, both of those plays. Both of those plays, it was Herbert. So why not put him back there so you have a lead blocker as opposed to Herbert running naked into a pile? Uh, you know, it's just something like, uh, follow me. I'll go this way as opposed to like, just run right into the, maybe you'll squirt out the other side. It, it just, it, it's so aggravating, uh, you know, to me to watch Luke Getze run the offense. It's like, I just, I don't see how he comes back next season. Even if we do enough to win six or seven games by the end of it and somehow miraculously save Eberflus's job or something like that. It's like, I can't imagine Luke Getze coming back next year. I just don't see how it happens. Yeah. I, I, I feel like he may end up being the scapegoat there, right? It's like, well, don't fire me. I'll fire the OC and like, see, we're going to make change that way. But yeah. I, part of me, I don't know. Like I, so like agreed a hundred percent. I just worry a little bit about like, it would be nice to have the continuity for Justin Fields. 100%. I just wish it was better continuity. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wish, like him having the same OC for three years in a row would be great. I just, I want that OC to be, better you know like it feels like with luke etsy like like we've been talking about like he has the right idea he just doesn't do it right you know it's like yeah you're gonna want to throw some screen passes against the vikings but not three plays in a row and not to trent taylor right it's like yeah and you're gonna want to run the ball and get them to timeouts but not with three tight ends and the same just run into a pile of 10 guys in the boxes like the the idea is kind of there it's just like but not like that, yeah. you know. You 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 got the concept generally, just not you're just not doing it quite the the right way. Yeah, and and I'm happy that we've kind of changed to, uh, you know, to trying to get the ball out or to doing a better job of protecting Justin, because at the the, the Vikings game and after the Denver game, I wanted to murder Luke Getzey because of his comments to the press. You know that that fumble that ended up getting the game tied against the Broncos. Luke Getzey called that a learning experience for Justin because they knew that that guy was coming even before the snap of the ball, and Justin didn't make the drop deep enough so that he had time to get rid of the ball. It's like, well, how about maybe what we do is have the running back run into that guy on the play fake, you know, fakes the pass, you know, runs right into him. Because he said that earlier on the last touchdown the Bears scored – Justin did, you know, reached his depth, and that's why he was able to find Herbert in the end zone. I was like, no, the reason that the that Justin had time was that that defender bit on the play action fake because we were at the two yard line. 
So he froze, which gave Justin the time to get to his drop and also gave him the room to run to find Herbert in the end zone for the touchdown. On that play, that guy did not didn't even look at the fake, just kept coming for Justin. He could have dropped 7 yards, 10 yards, 20 yards. That guy was going to be up his ass the second he turned around trying to throw the ball. That's exactly what happened. The ball gets fumbled, recovered, run back, and now what was 28-7 is 28-28. And, you know, the rest of it is, is history. It's like you didn't protect your quarterback. You put him in a bad position from the beginning, and you know you did, and then you want to put it on him because it didn't go well. It's like, and, and then the exact same thing. He said virtually the same thing about Justin getting sacked on the first play of the game against the Vikings. It's like he, we knew that guy was coming. He just didn't get rid of the ball in time. Both, both Getsy and Eberflus do that where, like, yeah, they kind of say, yeah, we as the coaches are always trying to be better, but, like, they do not do a good job of – putting the blame on themselves. No, like they, kind of, they in, don't. In passing, they mention it, no. but they're very quick to be like, oh, the, yeah, the players got to do that better. Like, yeah. we're, we're coaching them, but those players got to do it better. And I'm always surprised, like, there isn't more of a, like, I don't know exactly how the players would push back on that, but, like, it seems like if I was a player in the locker room and I heard the press conferences, I'd be like, dude, man, what the hell? Like, what do yeah. you, what, like, what, how are you you're supposed to be my leader? You're supposed, like, the coach, whether it's the coach's fault or not, the coach is always supposed to say, yeah, that's on me. That's not on them. And to you the know public. what? For all his faults, that was something that Nagy did very well. Well, it's yes. like, you know, we didn't do this, blah, blah, blah. That's on me. We'll get that. You know, we got to do better uh, with that. We got to coach him up better, blah, blah, blah. It, it almost feels like Eberflus and company say the things they should be saying behind closed doors to the press. You know, like maybe if you want to, you know, you talk about this to the players, you tell them. It's like, okay, you got to hit this depth. That's why he was able to get to you. That's why he was there when the, immediately when you turned around, you were at seven yards. You needed to be at 10, blah, blah, blah. You, then you go out there and be like, yeah, I got to do a better job uh, of putting, you know, him in a better. Because half the stuff they say to the press doesn't mean anything anyway. You know, it's it's all cliched talk about, you know, we got to get better, we got to do better, and blah, blah, blah. You know, it's – but those are the things you're supposed to say out in public for appearances' sake or or whatever. And it's just – I've never seen a, a coaching staff, Bears or otherwise, so willing to throw their players under the bus. They're not naming names most of the time, but they're implying that they aren't the problem, you know, which is something that Matt Nagy did, but he did more so behind closed doors than he did – to the press when it was in front of the press, it was always, we got to do better. And then of course, afterwards we hear that, you know, Nagy was like, they're running. It's like, we're running the right offense. We just need to execute. They just need to execute the damn offense. I've got the right offense. I just don't have people who can execute it. Uh, kind of thing. That was Nagy's deal. But when it was in front of the press is like, that's on me. I got to do better. I got to coach him better. We got to put him in a better spot, blah, blah, blah. These guys are like, yeah, they screwed up, man. Huh? You know, they really shouldn't have done that or, uh, and all that kind of stuff. Justin didn't do this right and blah, blah, blah. It's like, it's like good God, man. I've, I've never seen a coaching staff so willing to throw their players under the bus, uh, you know, the way that they do in, in front of the press. Like, I appreciate the transparency, but you know your players can hear what you're saying, right? Uh, isn't that part of them maybe trying to protect their own job security and say, hey, like, we're coaching them right. They're just not doing it right. But I don't know. It feels like the longer they go and the better the players start to play a little bit. And yet you still see coaching mistakes or coaching decisions hold this team back. Like we talked about against the lions and to some extent in, in moments against the Vikings where it's still like guys are playing well, but they're not getting points off of these turnovers. Why might that be is, is, is 
seems like the coaching is kind of the, the last man standing there. Like you can only ignore it so much. And it's it's been the theme throughout the season, or at least that's what it's it's felt like to you know most most specifically like guys like you and me who like this roster versus last year's roster. You'd think that this roster would beat the unholy piss out of the team that played last season. Like talent wise across the board, we're supposed to be a much better football team, and yet. We're, you know, we're only one game better than we were a year ago at this time. And we've got upgrades on just about every place, uh, you know, on the team. Granted, we dealt with some injuries. We're, we're about as healthy now as we've ever been uh, with our football team, uh, you know, this season and, and everything. It's just, it, it, if, if everything is better than it was a year ago, how come we're still as bad, if not worse, on the field? It's got to be the coaching. It has to be. The coaching, you know, that's the only thing that makes sense. How do you get better with talent wise and all that kind of stuff? And yet you're still the butt of your division. Uh, you, you just won your first division game since November of 2021 this past Monday. So you went two full calendar years without winning a game in your own division. You know, we're, we were in danger of going through two coaching staffs before we finally got another division win. You know, it's just, it's got to come down to coaching, which is why I don't understand how people say that it's possible for Eberflus to still save his job. It's like, I like Eberflus. He's a great guy, but I don't, I think he's in over his head here. And I think, it, you know, that the Bears have to move on. I agree 100%. But what if he beats the Lions the first game out of the bye week and then they're five and eight? And then, you know, you play at the Cleveland Browns who have a good defense, but don't have a quarterback. Right. And is that a winnable game? And then you're six and eight. You play the Arizona Cardinals. They're not doing so hot. They're two yeah. and ten. Is that a winnable game? And then you've won three. I mean, they've never won back to back games. So let's not get too carried away from ourselves. But you could win. And I guess if you beat the Vikings or if you beat the Lions, that already be two in a row. And that could be four in a row. Like these last handful of games are not super tough opponents. And if the Bears keep playing as well as they have lately, like those are all. I don't know, is it too strong to say winnable games, but yeah. games that you, you're not counting yourself completely out of. And then, like, again, I don't, I agree with you 100%. Like, don't bring Matt Eberflus back. He's in over his head. He is holding this team back more than he's helping it. But will the public perception change if this finishes the season stronger? Or even if it's not public perception, but the perception within Hallis Hall from Kevin Warren and, and Ryan Poles or whoever that, okay, yeah, they're turning a corner here. Let's bring it back with these guys and see if they can keep building off of that. Like that, that's almost worst case scenario for me. Yeah, it's, it's, it's daunting because the defense is really hitting a stride. You know, two weeks in a row, they first forced four, four turnovers in a game. Four against the, uh, the Lions, four more against the uh, Vikings. The issue is that, you know, the offense has not been, you know, for the four points that four turnovers we had against the Lions, did we score a touchdown? Maybe one. They did. One. They did off the on the kickoff that forced a fumble, but the three interceptions of golf right. got That's one right. single. That's right. Yeah, none of the interceptions resulted in points, but it was that that fumble recovery off the uh, the kick return. That was that's where the touchdown. That awesome throw from Fields to to DJ Moore for the touchdown. I mean, that was the moment. Yeah. I was like, dude, we're gonna win this game. Oh my god! It's like, did you see that throw? Stepped up in the pocket. Perfect throw, just right where it needed to be. I was like, oh, man, this is sweet. And then the rest of the game happened. But, you know, and then fast forward a week later, Monday Night Football, four interceptions, 
whether it be, you know, they made plays on the ball or were in the right place at the right time. Because both Brisker, actually three of those four interceptions were tips or deflections or anything. Because uh, Edwards did that. Justin Jones basically handed the ball to Kyler Gordon on that last one. And uh, Jaquan Brisker, that ball went right through Addison's hands into Jaquan Brisker's hands. Three points out of those uh, four turnovers. You know, so it's just like going into those last five games, the Bears aren't going to be afraid of Detroit going into that one because they know they can beat Detroit. It's just a matter of doing it this time. Then, like you said, that Cleveland defense scares the hell out of me, but Deshaun Watson being gone has taken the teeth out of that offense because they also don't have Nick Chubb, and while Kareem Hunt is a good back, he's not Nick Chubb, so... You know, it's even with Amari Cooper and Dave Njoku, they're not, you know, they scored, what, 13 points against the uh, Steelers, and then last week it was only 12 against the Broncos. So, yeah, they're not going to be cranking out the points in that one. That could be another Vikings game where it's going to come down to whoever has the ball last kind of thing. And then, like you said, we got Arizona and Atlanta, who at 5-6 and six are in first place in their division. That's... <laughs> You want to talk about a dumpster fire? It's the NFC South all over again. You know, I was like, I don't know how it is. Because I, when I was doing my NFL show, I was sitting there talking. I was like, I don't know how it is that the, the, the going into that game, the Falcons had lost three in a row. They lost three games in a row, and yet this game is for first place in the NFC South. And I'll be damned if the Falcons didn't win it. You know, they won that game. Right now, the season ends. The Falcons are the NFC South champs, and they're hosting a playoff game. Or actually, they're hosting the right to get murdered by the Cowboys in the first round of the uh, of the play- of the playoffs. So if the if the Bears were in the NFC South, they'd be a game and a half out of first place. Right. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> that's where we are right now. And you look at that schedule for the rest of the season and say, man, the Bears could still win that division. You know, yeah. They beat the Falcons. Like they could well, still, dude, if they were in that division, they could still win it, man. I like, just read something crazy. today that said that the Panthers aren't mathematically eliminated from winning the NFC South right now. No way. You know, if they <laughs> if they ran the table and got a few lucky bounces, they could yeah. win that division right now. To, to win Holy it at seven hell. and ten. You know, because <laughs> Brady and the Bucks wanted to eight and nine last year, you know, yeah. so it's like, yeah, winning it at seven and 10 doesn't seem to be out of the realm of possibility uh, right now. So, but yeah, you got the Falcons. And then honestly, Lauren, I don't care if we, if we lose the next four games, we have to win in Lambeau. We absolutely have to win in Lambeau. We cannot let this team sweep us this year. We can't let it happen because week one, was just that perfect combination of week one weirdness and just, you know, everything going wrong that could go wrong uh, in that game. You know, if I, I wish we were playing, I wish that the Packers were the team coming off the, the bye. Cause I, I would, I would, I would bet all the money I have got on the bears winning that game. Like, I just, I just feel like we've got green Bay's number now and we can't lose that game. We can't. I mean, and it's like, <laughs> then somebody brought it up. was like, well, would George McCaskey fire Matt Eberflus after beating the Packers? It's like, he better. He better. You know? I don't give yeah. a damn, man. It just, we got to have that game. No matter what, we have to win that game against Green Bay. It's tough because Green Bay's playing well the last couple of weeks. You know, yeah. against the Chargers and Lions, they started to figure a few things out. I mean, we'll see what the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football do to them, but like, 
you know, the, the, the Packers team feels like a better team than they were week one when they played the Bears. But, hey, the Bears are a better team right now than they were week one against the Packers. So, yeah, it'll be a good it'll be a good barometer of like, OK, how much progress has this Bears team made by that point? And I don't know. Is that the game like you were hinting at there? Like, is that the game for Matty Blues's job? You beat the Packers, you keep it, you lose that game, you're out. I mean, that's it shouldn't it shouldn't come like you should have your mind made up already after two seasons of Matty Blues. But like. Yeah. It feel it feels like that kind of stakes. It'll feel almost like that it's attached to it. So I mean, this is a conversation we'll be having again in five weeks when the, or six weeks when the season is over. But where do you sit with all of that? The decisions that the Bears are facing right now. We still have the number one pick thanks to Carolina. We're number four uh, at the moment. Uh, you know, for the second uh, for our own uh, pick. So we're we're definitely in quarterback territory. We're in trade back territory and for me the answer is to be to be determined because we got to know who the coach is going to be before we decide how those picks are going to go if Iberflus and company are coming back put everything you can behind Justin Fields and go forward from there do not subject another quarterback to Getzy and Iberflus and all that just you know stick with the devil you know and and uh let Justin run the offense again, giving Mar- Marvin Harrison Jr. maybe an offensive tackle, uh, you know, to upgrade from Braxton Jones despite how well he's playing. But Darnell Wright on one side, Brack and, uh, you know, Joe Alt or Fashanu or however you pronounce the kid from Penn State's last name uh, on the left side and, and let's go after it and maybe draft a center in uh, the second or third round or, or whatever and go forward from, uh, from there. Where, where, where do you sit on all of that as it stands right now? Yeah, for sure we'll be dependent on on who the next coach is. I, I can't help but – I'm a little torn on, like, what Eberflus would do because, on the one hand, keeping Justin seems like it gives you the best chance to win football games in 2024 to try and save your job. But at the same time, if you draft a rookie, that's a pretty good excuse to keep your job another year if things don't go well. It's like, oh, well, we got a rookie quarterback, so you got to give us more time with the rookie quarterback, so you can't fire us after that season. So yeah, I, I do think they would probably – like, if, if the Bears play well enough over the last – was it six games of this season? Five five games of the season now after the bye week. Yeah, if they play if they play well enough for Matt Eberflus to keep his job, then that means they have played well enough for Justin Fields to also keep his job. Like to me, I, I think those two are probably pretty closely tied in that regard. But then if they fire Eberflus, then I mean honestly, I, I would rather just have the next coach pick his pick his quarterback, whether that pick is Justin Fields or mm-hmm. not. Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come into that and mandate say hey hey. Jim Harbaugh, hey, Ben Johnson, or pick your next coach, you have to take, you have to have Justin, or you have to move on from Justin. Like, I'll I'll let this new coaching staff come in and say, okay, what's your plan? Do you, because if this new coaching staff says, man, we really love Drake May and Caleb Williams or whatever, then I might be willing to listen to that. But if they come in and say, no, we really love Justin and we're not as sold in these rookie quarterbacks, then like, all right, like you're the coaches, you, you, you know, it's your job that it will be tied to this. We'll let you make that decision. And then obviously the GM has to have an impact and influence on that. But like, I think it's got to be really up to the next coaching staff and who they think they can win with and what they think that winning looks like formulaically. Because I could easily see, you know, uh, Jim Harbaugh with his former offensive coordinator, uh, Greg Roman, who coached Lamar Jackson and, and Colin Kaepernick, and you, you build the Justin Fields offense that suits his still set a little bit better, and, like, yeah. that's really fun. Or you could see Jim Harbaugh wanting his Michigan quarterback, J.J. McCarthy or something, and moving on and doing something differently. Like, there's, I, it's going to be a really fascinating offseason that, that certainly starts with the head coaching decision. Yeah, I mean, and and for the people that are absolutely so sure that the Bears are going to take Caleb Williams or Drake May, uh, you know, in the draft, my first question is, 
I, I it's like, how can you make that decision not knowing who the coach is going to be? It's like, I know that you're doing that, drawing the conclusion that Eberflus is out, but like you said, if it's Harbaugh, I would say Justin Fields is 50-50 on keeping his job in Chicago because if, you know, Greg Roman's not working for anybody right now, so maybe he does come along with Harbaugh to be our offensive uh, coordinator. And, of course, he knows how to dial it up for, a, a you know, a running quarterback. And, I mean, he turned uh, Lamar Jackson into probably, in my opinion, one of the most unlikely MVPs of all time. You know, like I thought, you know, Lamar Jackson weighed about 160 pounds soaking wet coming into the NFL, and he had one of the greatest single seasons of all time uh, in 2019, leading the Ravens to a 14-2 and record uh, and all that kind of stuff. It, it always kind of makes me laugh, like, yeah, you got to go with, with Caleb Williams or you got to go with, with Drake May, and you know, and it's like not knowing who the quarterback is, I don't see how you're so sure that's what the Bears have to do. It, it doesn't make any sense when people just flat out keep saying, you know, without a doubt, this is what the Bears have to do. The scenario I keep finding myself coming back to personally, like if I was GM or whatever, like I would really strongly consider both. Keep Justin Fields, start Justin Fields next season, draft the quarterback. And mm-hmm. you know what? If you go to if you go to next season and Fields plays great all season long and your rookie sits all year, you can start to have the difficult conversation then about, okay, now we've got two quarterbacks. We like, Oh no, that sucks. Yeah. Or you draft the quarterback and Justin Fields struggles and great. You already got the rookie quarterback there just in case. And I get that as soon as you draft the quarterback, the pressure ratchets up, it's a quarterback controversy and that can be a little bit toxic for fields to have to deal with. And I, I get that, but I feel like that's kind of a necessary evil in the best interest of the football team to say, give me as many shots at having a good quarterback as possible instead of either having all my eggs in the field basket or all my eggs in this rookie quarterback basket. Why not have two options that both could be good or maybe I'm at least hedging that one of the two should be good and just increasing my odds of one of them ending up as my long-term quarterback option, either fields or the rookie, and I can figure out later who that's going to be, but take them both and let the let competition in the next season kind of shake that out for you. Yeah. But you're certain that Poles is going to be the guy that gets to make that call, right? Certain? I wouldn't say certain. I think mm. it's most likely. Yeah. But I wouldn't say certain. I think you could still collapse quite a bit down the stretch. But I do think like a lot of his players have really started playing better and better as the year has gone on. I think his job security has only improved. I mean, like his his job security improvement feels more concrete than Matt Eberflus's sure. job security improvement. Sure. Like, you yeah. can see the players playing better, even if the coaching isn't necessarily playing a lot or coaching them a lot better. I see Matt Eberflus making a really great case for immediately being a defensive coordinator somewhere next year. Yeah, that's what I see Matt Eberflus doing right now, as far as like the progress the defense uh, has made, you know, and the progress that he has made. And and the funny thing is. I don't know if it's him or that guy, Phil Snow, that they brought in to be the defensive analyst. That's really because ever since he came in, you've kind of seen an uptick in how well the defense is playing. So maybe he saw something that Eberflus wasn't or, you know, he's really helping Eberflus carry the load as far as also being the defensive play caller uh, while also being the head coach uh, uh, and everything. So, yeah, but it's like overall uh, the thing that I see Eberflus doing is making a really great case to immediately get an, a defensive coordinator job uh, somewhere uh, next season. And, um, you know, I, we're seeing one player after another that, that polls has come in or brought in, Jack Sanborn, uh, you know, Darnell Wright. I mean, everyone wanted to give the Bears hell for not taking Jalen Carter, and that's 
it's a valid thing for how well Carter's played for the Eagles, but I have no complaints whatsoever about Darnell Wright. You know, he's he's been outstanding at, at right tackle. He's the, I think he's the only guy on the team who's played every game so far, as far especially on the offensive line. I mean, we we played what twelve games? How many different offensive line configurations, starting offensive line configurations, have we had this year? You yeah. know, I would think almost as many as games we've played this season. It's got to be somewhere close, uh, as far as you know, how many different five starting five guys we've had up front. But Darnell Wright is the name you've seen on every single one of them so far. Yeah, absolutely. So I, yeah, I I, I kind of feel like if. If Jalen Carter was a Chicago Bear, he, he might not be playing this well. Like, yeah, when you're playing the Eagles defensive line, <laughs> yeah. that sure helps. And if you put him in Chicago right now, like, sure, he, he may turn out to be a very good player, and maybe he would have been great in Chicago, but, like, I don't think he would have been this good this quickly. Right. You know? Like, I, I still feel like it's too easy to say, oh, he's doing this thing over there. Kind of like the Patrick, Patrick Mahomes conversation. Okay, if, if the Bears had drafted him, would he be Patrick Mahomes? Probably not this many Super Bowls, but he could still be a good player. But, you know, yeah. it's a whole told another debate. It's a thing, definitely, for sure. So, But it's like I've, you know, Chase Claypool mistake aside, Valus Jones mistake aside, I feel like he's hit more than he's missed with the guys he's brought in. TJ Edwards has been awesome. You know, Tremaine Edmonds has had his moments, but he's certainly not earning $18 million a season uh, right now. But he's playing good football. Mm-hmm. He hasn't been a detriment uh, to the defense or anything like that. But TJ Edwards is by, by and large outplaying Edmonds each and every week. Sanborn is still a starter uh, for us. The, the, the rookie defensive tackles, like Gervon Dexter had his best game of the year against the Vikings uh, this past week and, and everything else. Tyreek Stevenson uh, has been good. And Terrell Smith has been, he's like a good old fashioned Ryan Pace hitting a home run in the fifth round kind of draft choice that, uh, that he's been. You know, you've seen good things out of Roshan. Tyler Scott is coming along and uh, and everything else. So it's just like he definitely knows how to draft. So that was one thing that we struggle with under Ryan Pace. Unless he picked you in the fifth round, you probably didn't turn out too well uh, for Ryan Pace. Yeah, Poles is only, I mean, draft-wise, his only miss has been Bayless Jones. And then, obviously, the trade for Chase Claypool is kind of the other big blemish. And then maybe the decision to hire Matt Eberflus. But, yeah. like, the DJ Moore trade seems to outweigh the Chase Claypool trade. Like, yeah, sure. Doesn't ignore doesn't doesn't mean the Chase we should ignore the Chase Claypool trade, but like we have evidence of him doing good trades in addition to bad trades. And we have evidence of doing him doing a lot of good draft picks. And obviously everyone has misses in there too. So yeah, it feels like there's not that like thing that has really hurt the team. Like there have been mistakes that have been negative for the team, but like there's not that glaring, like, oh man, like they're still paying the price because of this big mistake Ryan Poles made, except maybe the head coach. But you know, that's a big one every yeah. time. So, and I th- think that Montez sweat trade is looking better all the time. Yes. So, agreed. I mean, not only is he playing well, he had essentially a two-sack game on Monday against the uh, Vikings, but it seems like him, he has helped elevate everybody else around him uh, as well. So, I mean, because we only sacked Dobbs twice on Monday, but he was constantly having to step up in pockets that were collapsing around him. And we just haven't been seeing that from the front four this season. Like we're finally getting to a place where we can sit back in zone and try to get home uh, with four, you know, we can at least affect the quarterback somewhat uh, as opposed to him just being able to sit back there like a statue and wait for somebody to find that open zone that will eventually come open. It seems like we're, we're getting to a place where the defense can get home with four and we can play good old-fashioned cover two and, and be effective at the same time. 
Yeah, I mean, that's such a key critical component to trying to make this defensive scheme work. And it, I think it does also lend credence to like how, I guess, ineffective Matt Eberflus was at like making it work in other ways. Like where yeah. it's like schematically here, like they kind of need a certain amount of things in order for this to work. And when you have, well, when, you, when you've got great coverage players and a good pass rush and a good run defense, a lot of defensive coordinators can look pretty good. So, you know, is, is it how much of it is Matty Refluce versus putting these guys in a great position to succeed? And how much of it is Ryan Poles drafting some really good defensive backs and signing a couple good free agents and making a really big trade that is paying out for this team? And yeah. could a different defensive coordinator under new coaching staff come in and have a similar level of defensive success and also just be an overall better coach? Like, that's, that's one of the big things Ryan Poles is going to have to ask himself. Yeah. Yeah, so, but um, I'm I'm hoping that uh, Kevin Warren truly has the power that uh, we're we're led to believe that he does have, so he can come in and make any decision uh, that he wants uh, and and move on from Eberflus. I would really like for him to hang on to Ryan Poles, but I can also see the virtue in having everybody on the same page at the same time because the Bears have been kind of staggering uh, the hires, the three big ones, the general manager, the head coach. And the quarterback, we've been staggering them, you know, from like the right now we have a coaching staff and a GM that didn't draft this quarterback. So there's always that inherent, you know, this is not my guy kind of thing. So maybe they want their opportunity to go and get their uh, guy or the, the, you know, that polls will go out and get somebody else or take a Caleb Williams or a Drake May because that's his guy to give him, you know, the chance going forward and, and all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, I can see the virtue in, in doing all that, resetting the quarterback contract clock in the salary cap era makes sense uh, as well. But uh, in a perfect world for me, Justin Fields is the quarterback in 2024. Ryan Poles is still the general manager. And we go out and get, you know, Harbaugh or Ben Johnson or Eric Bieniemy or somebody that is going to actually, you know, get things done on the offensive side to go along with the progress we've made on defense you know, and with Ryan Poles, two first round picks and, you know, whatever we could possibly get out of somebody else trading out of number one uh, again, or or at least stay at number one and draft Marvin Harrison Jr. Wouldn't that be something to have, you know, Harrison Jr. and DJ Moore for Justin Fields to throw the ball to? I mean, it's it's uh, yeah, it's going to be an extremely interesting offseason. And we still got five more games before we can talk about what's really going to happen. But it's it's, you know, if nothing else, it's been interesting to talk about throughout this season as it's unfolded in front of us, and yet we've still got another six weeks before anything happens. It's kind of typical Chicago Bears, though, right? It's like we we started thinking about the offseason off in, what, week two, week three? Like, I mean, by, definitely by week four when you're on four. Like, probably after you lose to the Chiefs at 0-3, that's when it's like, all right, Let's look ahead and who's going to be the next head. I think I saw my first who's going to be the next head coach of the Bears article after mm-hmm. week two or week three in this season. Like that's yeah. like sure these games are still fun and matter, and I'm glad that they they do. It's certainly a lot more than they did last year, but we always have an eye, at least one eye out ahead of the offseason. But I'm glad this has been a regular season that we've had a little bit more to actually like. There's actually some stuff, some substance, and some meaning here, even when the playoffs aren't. We're never really a part of the picture. Like we still like these games still matter and mean something and have value to whether they win or lose and how players play in those games. Yeah, that is the big thing because I think, like you mentioned, the uh, the scenario of basically the Bears uh, able to possibly run the table here in these next uh, five games. It's not 
it's insane, but it's not all at the same time with, with what we've got in front of us, the teams and the positions that they're in right now. Maybe the Cardinals will be in full-blown tank mode by the time you know we see him. Like, we want Marvin Harrison Jr. We're not going to do anything that are going to you know, move him out of our realm like winning a football game. So you guys can go ahead and have it. We'll keep our number two overall pick or, or whatever and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, the Bears running the table and uh, keeping Eberflus or, you know, the point I was trying to say was context is what matters. So even if the Bears do run the table, it's how we play in those wins that matters more than anything, you know. But uh, I think you and I said even when Eberflus got hired that – I want to be, I want to be happy about the losses instead of upset about the wins because we did that so much under Matt Nagy. Whereas, like we won, but we had a lot of those what I like to call "yeah, but" victories. It's like, yeah, we won, but you know, there's this and that and uh, and all that kind of stuff. The context and how the Bears look, win or lose, these next five games will really determine whether or not Eberflus keeps his job. And I, I'm just glad to have a reason to care about. December football games for the Chicago Bears, <laughs> even if it's not playoffs. Like, because last year it's like, all right, who cares how they do against the Buffalo Bills in this game? Like, yeah. all right, just get me to January. But now it's like, no, I do care how the Chicago Bears do in this game, not for the playoffs, but for all the reasons we just talked about. Yeah, man. Okay, Lauren, we'll set a set a date. We'll see you again uh, right after the first week of January to to talk about how the last five games. Of the season went. Are we keeping Eberflus? Is Justin Fields sticking around? Who's the head coach going to be? We'll have a chance to talk, I'm sure, a few times uh, over the winter. But uh, where can we keep up with you uh, in the meantime? Yeah, you can find me in the crowd at your nearest KISS concert, first Amen. and foremost. Uh, but uh, besides that, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Cox Sports One. You can hear me five days a week on the Locked on Bears podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts. Amen to that. Lauren Cox, Locked on Bears. Thanks so much uh, for joining us, man. We'll talk to you again real soon. Hey, anytime. Always love having Lauren uh, on the show and, uh, you know, we we uh, we were both at the Kiss show on Monday, as we said. Both of us had a great time. It was my nineteenth or twentieth uh, Kiss show that I've seen over the last thirty-five uh, plus years. I went to my very first show in January of '88 for the Crazy Nights tour, and I've virtually hit just about every visit to Chicago since then. Whether I had to come home from the Quad Cities or or uh, whatever, uh, anytime they came to Chicago, I was there. Uh, so, uh, yeah, there were a couple there for a while where I didn't get to go for one reason or another, but basically if they were, if they came to town, I pretty much was, uh, there. I even saw them in a few different places. Some in the quad cities twice. They actually came to the quad city, saw them once at Summerfest in Milwaukee. That was a blast. And then they were kind of doing this, uh, like small market tour. They call it the lost cities tour. Uh, in back in 2011, I saw him in Springfield on what might have been the hottest day in the history of the world. It was god awful hot uh, in July. It was terrible, but great show. Had a good time. Um, anyway, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so great conversation uh, with Lauren. How do you guys feel uh, about the you know the Bears with with the games that we have ahead? 
if the defense keeps playing like this, that's going to give us a shot in all five, whether it's Detroit or Cleveland, or, you know, Arizona, Atlanta, uh, you know, and God forbid Green Bay uh, at the end. If the defense keeps playing and progressing the way that it has throughout the season where it started off the year as one of the league's worst units and now it's 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 sizing up to be one of the league's most formidable uh defenses it's it's amazing progress uh that we've seen um you know could this could the third leg of the season be the one we've been waiting to see all along like this is the team that we thought we would see from week one throughout the season instead we had to wait till week 14 for them to take the field against the Lions and, and really show out as the football team we were hoping to, to run into. So it's interesting to think about. We'll have to wait two weeks to find out. So we're going to have a, a little bit of a hiatus uh, myself. I won't be back on Monday, obviously, because we don't have a game to review, but I will be back on Tuesday with the Week 13 review of the fourth phase. So we'll uh, sum up the 13 games played. Uh, this week, as I'm doing this right now, the Cowboys and the uh, Seahawks are wrapping up. I haven't checked the score in a bit, so I don't know where we're at with that right now. The Seahawks were actually winning at halftime, 28 to 27 or 28 to 20, one of the two. It was 28 27 when I came down here to uh, do this. So we'll see where they're at now, and um, we'll talk about uh, those those 13 games, and then uh, we'll be back on Thursday uh, again to preview Week 14, and then. On Friday, we'll preview Bears versus the Lions in Soldier Field with our good friend Jeremy Reisman from SB Nation's Pride of Detroit. And uh, we'll get that last five games started and see what the rest of the season is going to look like from here. So enjoy the weekend, guys. Uh, enjoy your bye week, a bearless uh, football or weekend of football uh, this weekend. And uh, we'll see you back here on Tuesday for the fourth phase review work week 13 so until then my name is larry d and this has been the bears talk underground